Yeah, well, good morning. I'm uh, Morgan Lusk. I'm the associate pastor of youth and families here. Our senior pastor, Robert, is working on his tan at the beach. And it's well-deserved time away, and so I'm happy to bring the word to you this morning. We're, we've been talking about the seven deadly sins, and uh, as luck would have it, I get to preach on anger today. And so, uh, before I go any further, I want to read scripture. We have three different uh, sections I want to point you to. The first one is Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, that says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Also want to read to you from Matthew 5, 21 and 22, where Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount. He says, starting in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Then finally, I want to look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where Paul is talking about living the new life in Christ, and as a result of being in Christ, he says, starting in verse 26, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. This is what you have decided that we need to know, everything we need to know about you. And I pray, Father, that as we discuss your word, that as we discuss what it has to say on this difficult subject, that you would give us ears to hear. Open our hearts to what your Holy Spirit would say to us today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just let you know up front that I have not found the secret to never being angry. If I had found that secret, I imagine I would be a best-selling author, and you would not have to pay me to be your youth pastor. I could just do it for free. Um, so I'm, I'm a learner in this. Um, this, this is something I'm working through as well, and I think it's, it's something, there, there's a lot to say on this subject. None of us is immune to this. Everybody has experience with anger, because everybody has experience with sin. Even the most quiet, gentle person gets angry. And so I, I want to touch on as much of this subject as possible. But if you feel like I've left something out, I assure you it's not because, not for lack of trying. I, I'm trying to hit on everything we can and still stay within my time. So let's define anger. And more specifically, let's define 
or work through what, what the deadly sin of anger actually looks like. And I want to start with what the Bible has to say about anger. If you were to do a word study and go through the Old Testament and look at the word anger and, and study how the Hebrew uh, discusses this word, you'd, you'd find a, a lot of fire. There's a lot of talk of, of his anger was kindled against the whoever, Israelites, Amalekites, or, or you'd hear something about burning with anger. And there's a reason for that. When you look at the Hebrew, if you take um, the word for anger, it's actually not just one word, usually. It's often a combination of two words, and they're put together. And when they're put together, they mean something like his nose was burning or his face was on fire. Yeah, like, like breathing fire. He's a dragon. Okay, that's, that's what the Hebrew perspective on anger is. If you go to the Greek in the New Testament, it's not quite so colorful. But it, it means something like the agitation of the soul. And so when you put those two together collectively, the Bible has a, a very good handle on both the outward expression of anger and where anger comes from. It comes from the soul. It is a heart and soul issue. And so that's why Ecclesiastes 7, 9, as we already read, it says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. It's a heart and soul issue. Well, why does it come about? Why do we get angry? It's a definition in your bulletin from David Pallison. He says, The core of anger, as God designed it, is that something important is not the way it's meant to be. And we are moved to take action. Anger is essentially, I'm against that. It is active displeasure towards something that is important enough to care about. And so we'll let that guide us as a definition of anger in general. But there's something important to point out there, which is that God designed anger. You ever think about that? This is something that comes from God, ultimately. And so as we look at anger versus the sin of anger, we see that in its original form, as the way God designed it, it is not actually a sin. Anger is not necessarily a sin. As we've seen in Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry, but do not sin. The Bible seems to separate the two things out. It says, on the one hand, there's anger. On the other hand, there's the sin of anger. And the best proof of this is that God gets angry. He gets angry a lot. If you go through all those verses in the Old Testament about anger, a lot of them are God getting angry. And most, most of the time, it's because his people are worshiping idols or his people have fallen into sin. I think of Moses going up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. And while he's gone for a while, the Israelites are like, well, he's gone. I guess we should worship a golden calf. Let's make, let's make a cow. Let's worship that. Moses gets up there, talk to God, and God's like, dude, your people, you better get out of the way. I'm about to do something bad. And he says, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God is angry at Israel, and it is justifiable anger. 
is angry because he's against idol worship. It is right and it is good to worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone, but they're worshiping a cow. God is angry, and he has every right to be angry. We also see this in the Gospels with Jesus. You know the story of him going to the temple and overturning the tables and chasing out the money changers with a whip. He's angry. I don't think you can do that sort of thing without being angry. Can you imagine? Yeah, you guys, just get on out of here. You know, just leave. It's okay. No, he's angry. And rightfully so, because again, this is, this is righteous anger rooted in a desire to see God alone worshipped. And then Mark 3, 5, that's in your bulletin, says, And he looked around at them, the Pharisees, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus is angry at the Pharisees because they have placed their legalism, their system of laws over God. And so God, his anger is always justified. God is always right. God is always holy. When he says something is wrong, it is wrong. And so he has every right to be angry. And we can, in a way, share in this kind of righteous indignation. There's a quote in your bulletin from Brian Chappell. He says, Injustice, cruelty, and insensitivity to others stir God's wrath and rightly cause anger in us who are made in his image. When something is wrong in God's eyes, when when there's something that we clearly know God is against, and we get angry at that, that is righteous anger. So if you're angry about abortion, if you're angry about the fact that there are 150 million orphans in our world, if you're angry about someone constantly picking on and bullying one of your kids. I believe that's righteous anger. The key is that we don't act in vengeance as a result. Romans 12, 19 says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. So we leave the punishment, whatever punishment might happen, we leave that up to God. We leave that up to the courts, to the law that he has authorized. And instead of of getting angry and going and bombing an abortion clinic. Instead, we get angry and we go and start a ministry like our choices here in Chattanooga that reaches out to women who have had an abortion or who are thinking about having an abortion. We reach out to them in love. We do not act in vengeance. But then there's sinful anger. What we might think of as like incredible Hulk anger. You know, we just get all bent out of shape yelling and screaming and violent. And this sinful anger is an emotional response to what we feel is unjust humiliation, unjust injury done to our pride or our will or our desires. You think of the Bible, you think of Cain. He was humiliated because... God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not his. And so out of his anger, he killed Abel, his brother. There's tons of examples of this. You think of, I don't know, maybe you watched a baseball game or something, a player strikes out, breaks the bat over his knee, Bo Jackson style. Storms into the dugout, 
throws the water cooler on the field, throws the bats on the field, throws the bat boy on the field. This, this, this fit of rage over something as silly as a strikeout. You think of somebody who, who has to be somewhere on time, and everybody around him is making them late. And they yell and scream and rage. You think of somebody getting cut off in traffic. And they are just, just road rage, uncontrollable road rage, yelling, screaming, starting to drive angry. Sadly, we think of parents who get so angry at their children that discipline turns into abuse. Whatever example you're thinking of right now, I, and that's what I want to point out again, we've all got experience with this. We all know this, whether it's because we've been there ourselves or we've experienced it from someone else. But we need to take Proverbs 14.29 to heart. It says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Sinful anger is foolish. And you know this. If you've ever exploded in anger, when that moment has passed, after the outburst, don't you feel ashamed? And that's partly because of how others look at you. That's partly because people look at you with fear, trepidation, or even disdain. But it's also partly because in that, in that fit of anger, you have revealed your vulnerable heart. You've revealed what's really inside. As Jesus says, what is in the heart comes out of the mouth. That's also why Jesus in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, as we've already read, he, he's talking about anger. And he says that when it comes to judgment, when it comes to, to the way God views sin, anger and murder are the same. Hatred towards your brother and murder are the same. So he's saying that, he's saying that anger deserves God's wrath just as much as murder does, but he's also saying that anger doesn't just come out of nowhere, that murder just doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from the heart. It comes with being angry at your brother. As we've already said, anger is a heart and soul issue. And that leads us to the question, what is going on in the heart when anger is around? Under your third point in your bulletin, anger reveals your true master. That's what's going on. When we get angry, and what we get angry about, that, that reveals what really matters to us. I mean, a master, by definition, is someone for whom we're required to do anything. We have to do whatever he says or she says or whatever it says. So I think of, I don't know if you've seen that movie, Waterboy with Adam Sandler, Bobby Boucher. When you diss water, he gets angry. High quality H2O. Water, water is what matters to Bobby Boucher. I know that's a silly example, but I hope that illustrates the point. When we get angry at something in a sinful way, it's because we've placed this thing that really shouldn't matter so much, and we've given it this pedestal. We put it up there, and we kind of make it our God. And anything that tries to attack that thing, we, we lash out at it to defend it. There's a video going around, maybe you've seen it on Facebook, of a, a garbage man. 
and he's just moving along. He's, he's like the fastest. He'd probably win the garbage man contest, okay, if there's such a thing. He's just chucking them bags in that truck, and he comes to this one curb, finds a trash can, and he's got, got everything in there quickly, and he's got the trash can, and he looks inside, and he's like, oh, there's still a bag in there. It's stuck. And so he starts shaking it and trying to get the bag out. He can't get it out. And so he beats it against the truck, and it breaks, and just throws the whole thing in the truck. And then he's so mad that he goes over to the, the curb, he starts shaking the mailbox, pulls the mailbox out of the ground, beats it against the street, throws it into the truck, and then calmly cleans everything up. You know, because he's a garbage man. That's what they do. I mean, yeah, because you couldn't get a trash bag out of a trash can? I mean, really? But that's where we go sometimes. It's kind of scary. Again, we get cut off in traffic. Maybe the wife says, hey, can you please help? Help with the kids. Help with dinner. Take out the trash, maybe. And your kid knocks the dinner off your table, makes a mess all over the floor. And your football team loses. I didn't know anything about that last year, by the way. Florida State fan, thank you. But, uh, yeah, I've been there before. Been there before. Tim Tebow did a lot of damage to us. People get angry over their football team losing. I mean, think about that. People get angry because 21-year-olds couldn't get a ball across a line enough times. Is that something worth getting angry at? And a lot of this stuff happens at home, you know, where people can't see it. Uh, we, f- we feel in, pu- in public we kind of have our guard up. We, don't, we know we're not supposed to get angry in public, but at home we can get angry because nobody else really sees except our family, and sometimes they're the ones that suffer the most. We know how to hide it. And this, guys, this is an indicator that what matters to us is not God, not his will, not his commands, What matters to us in these cases is my rights, my comfort, my desire for a clean floor, my desire to get the trash into the trash truck quickly, my pride, my team. These things prove to be our masters. And I've learned myself looking at my anger, thinking through the things that have made me angry. A lot of times it's just me. I become my master. Any threat to my self-rule, any threat to me doing whatever I want to do or having my time to myself, gets me angry. And so a, a key thing to understand is that serving a master other than God, it's going to look dysfunctional. It's going to feel delusional because we're giving unwarranted service to an unwarranted king. That's why Ephesians 4.27 is so clear. It says, do not give Satan an opportunity. In the NIV, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not allow Satan to get into your heart. And the sin of anger is a very quick and easy way for him to make inroads into your heart. And he will use you for his purposes. He will become your master. That's why Ed Welch says, anger is a sign of kingdom allegiances. 
It shows a temporary alignment with the devil himself. And so Proverbs 22, there in your bulletin, it warns us, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Anger can be quick, it can be furious, and sometimes it almost feels like it's beyond our control. Like when you're in that moment, it just takes over, and, and it's almost like it's the only thing you can do is get angry. The idea that maybe you could control it is almost foreign, unfathomable. So we become like angry birds. I don't mean to make light of this, but you know the game. Everybody knows that game. You're on your little mobile device, and you take those little angry birds, and you flick them across the screen. You just want to break stuff, break a wall. I really haven't played it that much. I don't know, but you, you break stuff. Angry birds are all about destruction. And that's the same thing with us when we're angry. We become all about destruction. If left unchecked, we'll destroy property. We'll destroy another person. We'll destroy ourselves. But the real reason it's a deadly sin, one of the seven, is because it will lead to the destruction of your soul. So what do we do about this? What if I'm an angry bird? Is there hope? Can we manage it? Can we, is there a way that we can handle anger that is biblical and healthy? I believe there's a lot of hope for us. And again, I have to confess, I don't have a strong handle on this. I, I mean, I'm less angry than I used to be, for sure. I'm better able to recognize and prevent some of the triggers that have historically made me angry, but anger is still an issue for me, as I imagine it is for many of you, and, and so again, what I have to say to you, this, this, this application that I'm about to lay out here, it's not from a position of expertise, I don't have mastery over this, I'm just trying to get God to help me with this, and he will. Let me first talk about a couple things that I think people try to do with anger. And some, I would say, want to suppress it. If you have seen the Lego movie, you know what I'm talking about. Unikitty, right? Little little cat from, from Cloud Cuckoo Land. If you don't if you haven't seen this, by the way, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I sound cuckoo right now. But seriously, like she's a great example of this. I mean, she's in this place where nobody ever gets angry. Everybody's always happy. But even as she says that, there's like this twitch of anger. It's kind of like a flicker of, of fire that you see in her eyes. And she's like, I never get angry. I'm always happy. I'm going to break stuff right now. But that's what I'm talking about. That's what we do. We suppress anger. We try to pretend. We try to put on a happy face. It gets really hard, though. And this is really a pretty terrible idea if you think about it. In fact, there's some studies psychologists have shown that there might actually be a direct link between suppressing your anger over a long period of time and clinical depression. It makes sense if you think about it. You get angry, but you push it down. You suppress it. Put it in a bottle inside of you. But it doesn't go away. 
It's not like that actually makes it go anywhere, except it stays in you. And so what does it start to do? It starts to turn on you. It turns inward. It starts to eat away at you. And before you know it, you're angry at yourself. Maybe you even hate yourself. If you hate yourself, you're depressed. Another way people try to handle anger is by expressing it, maybe in a non-harmful way. So you've heard of people punching a pillow, punching a teddy bear, maybe going and going to the batting cage, hitting a few softballs, pretending that the softball is the person with whom you're angry. I don't know if that's a good idea either. The reason I say that is because we go back to Ecclesiastes 7, 9. It says that anger is from your soul. It arises in your soul, and it lodges in your heart. So if you just express your anger, even if it's, it's kind of helping you in the moment, it hasn't really gone anywhere because the heart condition is still not dealt with. You still are angry in your heart. And those, those triggers, those conditions are still there. So there's got to be a way that we can deal with anger in a controlled way, but also in a redeemable way, in a biblical way. And the first thing I would say is to treat anger like fire. We've already mentioned this. The Hebrew is, is very vivid in the way it discusses anger. It says it's like your face is on fire. There's good reason for that. Fire, you know, if, if it's left by itself, if it's left unchecked, it will destroy things quickly. It can rage through a forest in minutes. It can burn down a home in seconds if it's left unchecked. But then in a fireplace, or even in, a, in a, like a controlled burn situation, fire is, is healthy. It's life-giving. It's necessary. It's the, the cornerstone of civilization. Without it, we can't really do anything. And so the difference between that and destructive fire is, as Smokey Bear would say, prevention. When it comes to anger, we've got to prevent. We've got to take steps to prevent it before it happens. And I think part of that is simply wanting to get rid of it. I think that it's easy to justify our anger. It's easy to kind of nurse it, give it a comfortable environment to lodge in our hearts. You've heard people say, anger runs in my family. You know, grandma's got that Irish temper, Scandinavian temper, whatever. I don't know. Runs in the family, so it's okay for me to be angry. Or everyone gets angry sometimes. Everybody's stressed out. I get stressed out at work. It's okay for me to come home and yell a little bit. I'm just kind of letting off steam. It's almost like people are trying to say, hey, I have a right to be angry. Almost like they want to be angry. And it can, in a, in a way, it can actually feel good. You're defending your allegiances. Feels righteous. But it's an illusion. The idea that we could actually create and defend our own righteousness. It's an illusion. James 1, 19. We'll do 19 through 20 just for right now. There in your bulletin. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
cannot create our own righteousness. We must depend on Christ. And if we do, if we depend on Christ, I believe the Bible will show us that we can do more than just manage our anger. We can actually prevent it. Again, James 1, verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Proverbs 16, 32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. In Proverbs 19, 11, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This kind of language the Bible uses, putting away filthiness, receiving the implanted word, uh, ruling your spirit, this is the language of careful prevention. It's the language of someone who's training every day by walking with Jesus. And when we walk with Jesus, some of these offenses that we feel, they may not sting quite so much. Maybe you're in a place where every negative word, every wrong that you, you see around you kind of feels like an all-out attack against you. Well, walking with Jesus each and every day shows us that we're not at the center of the universe. When people offend us, it usually isn't as bad as it seems. People are really not out to get us, even though it seems that way. And that realizing that, I think, will diffuse a lot of anger. But there are definitely other things that we must do. We must pray. Brothers and sisters, we must pray every single day day about this. We must pray when we're angry. We must confess to the Lord where there is sin. We must ask him for forgiveness. Ephesians 4.27, you know this verse, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I believe that that is encouraging us to resolve disputes, angry disputes quickly. But I also believe that that's encouraging us to confess our anger to God quickly. Do not do not wait to confess this to God. Do not wait to pray about this. It will fester. We also need to be willing to reflect. We need to be willing to open ourselves to divine heart surgery. Psalm 139, there in your bulletin, says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is so important through reflection, being willing to, to be honest with ourselves, to look deep inside our hearts. When we do that, the Holy Spirit will gently point out some of these areas in our hearts where our allegiances lie with something else than God. And that might not feel very good. That might be really hard. It is for me. But I think you'll hear the Holy Spirit asking you, do you have a right to be angry about this? This one thing, this place, this issue? Do you know the truth of the gospel? If you're training daily with Jesus, you will respond to this gentle rebuke with more and more love for Jesus. And I think with less sinful anger. I also want to say that we should meditate on 
grace. You know, do you ever think that Jesus has every reason to be angry with us? I mean, think about that. Created us in his image, loves us unconditionally, and we respond with rebellion, with hatred, with sin. But what grace he has shown us. Instead of leaving us to be objects of God's just wrath, punishment, he came as a servant, and he took that wrath, that divine anger upon himself. Guys, that wrath, that, again, justifiable anger against us that was meant for us, it's been nailed to the cross. Grace changes us. Grace doesn't just manage sin, it doesn't just manage anger, it changes our hearts. Jesus changes the allegiances of our hearts so that we are no longer enslaved to our own idolatrous sin. I mean, think about this, if, you, if, if your only allegiance is to Jesus, if that's your only allegiance, if he is your only master, you will not be angry when you're humiliated because you've been crucified with Christ and it is now Christ who lives in you it's not about you anymore it's about Christ they can humiliate you all all they want it's not about you anymore we don't have to live like the world is against us Jesus going to the cross suffering dying there taking the wrath God upon himself and then rising from the dead is the ultimate act of grace. And it is the ultimate assurance that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? That will free us. I believe that can free us to have a righteous indignation over true evil. It's a necessary thing. Think about what the world would be like if there was nobody righteously angry, angry about things. This is why Martin Luther started a reformation. This is why Martin Luther King Jr. started a civil rights movement. They were righteously angry. And if we are not consumed with anger over offenses to our kingdoms, and we are free to act redemptively against the kingdom of darkness and for the kingdom of God. Instead of repaying evil with evil, instead of not getting mad but getting even, we can love those who bully us. We can love those who insult us. We can pray for those who persecute us. We can pray for and pursue the kingdom of God. We will want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, do something about it. There's a quote there in your, your bulletin. David Callison again says, When constrained by faith and love, anger considers and pursues the welfare of others and the glory of God. We're often told that anger is a bad thing. 
in its deadly, sinful form, it's a terrible thing. It leads to loss, to damage, to relationships, possibly even to murder. And it can lead to the destruction of your soul. But we should not avoid anger altogether. We should not be at a point where we have no righteous anger. If, a, if our allegiance is to Christ, then stuff will make us righteously angry. I mean, doesn't it make you angry that the devil prowls around looking for people to devour? Doesn't it make you angry that Satan schemes against the church, against humanity, that he uses people for his purposes? Doesn't your sin make you angry? My sin makes me angry. I hate it. If you're with Christ, this stuff should make you angry. Maybe some righteous anger is exactly what we need to fuel us towards prayer, love for our enemies, proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father and our God, we are humbled because we are so given to sin. We can be so angry. We lose sight of what's important. We lose sight of you. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, help us to heal, help us to train, to walk with you daily that we might grow in you and learn to love, learn to love you and love others instead of being angry. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.